Well, hello, happy Monday, and welcome back to You Uplifted Beautiful Souls. You Uplifted is the place where open hearts and open minds can come together to talk about and discover new ways in which to heal, grow, and fully step into their true potential and power. As always, I am your host, Safa, and I'm just so, so thrilled to be able to bring this interview to you today because I had the absolute honor and joy to sit with Jackie Coben, who is just such a bright and beautiful light and soul in this world. Now, Jackie is a triple certified Enneagram Life and NLP in the greater NYC area, working with individuals and companies to create sustainability and reach goals through self-awareness and emotional intelligence. Jackie helps people to understand who, what, and why they are at their core. She is the CEO and founder of Table for Nine Coaching, host of the Table for Nine podcast, and mom friend of the group. (laughs) Jackie loves digging the gold out of everyone and a good butt-kicking quote. You can find her binge-watching The Office or at www.tablefor9coaching.com and at Table for 9 Coaching. She is simply a delight and I cannot wait for you to listen to us. We talk about Enneagrams and stories, becoming our true partners, and gosh, so much more. There is so much richness to this conversation. So you know what? Let's just jump right into it, shall we? Welcome, Jackie, and thank you so much for being on the show today. It's such a joy. Thank you so much for having me. I'm super excited. I'm looking forward to chatting today. Oh, me too. I'm really, really glad that we were able to connect, and I and I feel blessed because I feel like I say this to a lot of my guests. It is truly such a joy and an honor to have connected with you in such a deep way, like prior to the show. So thank you again. And yay, I'm so excited. <laughs> oh, thank you. You're so, you're so kind. It's, it's funny. You, you meet those people kind of by a happy accident and you're like, dang, like, how did we, how did I go my life without knowing people like this? Like, so it's, it's funny when you feel that quick connection. I appreciate that. Ah, same here. And it blows my mind because a lot of these connections have been so clear and they've had such a good like high vibration frequency so thank you for Mm, that I appreciate it and uh, for for the listeners themselves would you be able to tell us about yourself who you are and what your passion is yeah I would love to so basically I am a 26 year old from the New York City area so I live right at the right at the tippy top of New Jersey where it becomes New York and uh I am a life coach. I'm an Enneagram coach. That's kind of my niche. And I'm an NLP practitioner. And really what I'm passionate about is um, while I want to help people reach their goals, I really like to help people develop language around who, what, and why they are so that they can understand themselves, live sustainable lives. And uh, you'd be surprised how your goals sort themselves out when you know each other, when you, you know, when, when you know yourself. So that's kind of uh, my life's purpose there. Oh my gosh. I love that so much. And actually it's a perfect segue because this is one of the things I really wanted to talk to you specifically about, and it's the Enneagram. Mm. So um, for the people who maybe do not know what it is, could you give us a little bit of what exactly is an Enneagram and how does it work? 
Yeah. So a lot of people think it's like, um, like a personality test, but it's like, it is, but it isn't. It's not like Buzzfeed's what pasta are you? It's like, um, (laughs) it's a lot more in depth. So it's, um, the way I like to explain it to people is it uses some type of personality, but really points you to your essence. So it's basically measuring who, who you are by title. So it'll number it one through nine and it'll give you a nickname as most of these things do. But it does it based on your core motivations, your fears, your desires, your longings, because those don't change. You manage them or you don't. You mismanage them over time. But when it comes to like whether or not you're going to walk into a room or yell at somebody or if you're going to walk in and smile, that's like that's just that changes every day. So we're not going to go based on characteristics. We're going to go based on the things that are deep rooted and ingrained in you. And that's kind of how you see your worldview. And so from there, it's the nine main personality types. And it kind of helps you then in turn understand the characteristics. But I find it's more sustainable. Um, You know, you think of like Myers-Briggs is like, you know, outside in. It's like, oh, I'm introverted. I'm extroverted. But like the Enneagram is inside out. Yeah. Oh, I, yeah. Okay. There's a couple of things that I, I want to bring up here because as I'm thinking about them, hearing you talk, yes, I love yeah. Enneagram. I actually myself took it, I think it was about mm, maybe three, four years ago and got that I'm a type four. And it was so mm. like deep, like on point that I was shocked. And what I like about these things, I always tell people and my clients, whenever I work with them, I love both the Enneagram, the Myers-Briggs, like yeah. I love all of these because what they do is they give us a chance to be very, very introspective and to get to know ourselves better. But I also like to say, remember though, we, everything in the universe is in a constant state of shift and flux, which means mm. you may be embodying this space in this manner right now. But as you learn more lessons and as life develops and expands, it's possible you might find yourself shifting a little bit or shifting a lot or completely. Yeah. So I also, yeah. So as a caution for the listeners and for everyone, just remember external things do not define you. You define you. But what is great about these tools is that they give us a chance to be very aware of who we are, what makes us tick why we got there, how to heal, how to use those tools to become better, to become more empowered, to become more uplifted. And that is where I want us to really kind of go with this, right? So let's go a little bit deeper in the Enneagram world and maybe talk about the types that there are and whatever little bit you can give us as to what each type is. I know it's a long question and it's a very intricate answer. So manage it. I can do it. I can do it. (laughs) Yeah, and I have to say I love what you what you just said, and and it's true. I I actually was doing a um a tra- a group training with a bunch of yoga instructors, and one of them, you know, kind of very skeptical of the of the enneagram was like, I think everything that you're saying is against what we teach in like neurosculpting. You know, change. You know, obviously your your brain can change, and you know your thoughts can change, and so you make new thoughts and things like that. And I kind of painted to her like this. I know a lot of people think this puts you in a box, but um, when you become healthier, you don't become the healthiest version of like the grocery store clerk or your brother or your mom. You become the healthiest version of you. You don't change who you are. You just change the different parts about you to be healthier. So it's kind of like a sliding scale um, instead of jumping from one person to the other. That's why I hate the whole like new year, new me thing. I'm like, that's funny. So 
Yeah. So it's important to kind of keep that in our heads, but I can do an overview of the nine types. Um, the Enneagram one is called the perfectionist or the reformer. I love reformer because they really like to fix things everywhere they go. They are, um, the type of people who they really, I mean, they joke, you joke and say like, oh, they'll rearrange the dishwasher when you're not looking. And yes, sometimes it is like that. But for the most part, really, it's that, you know, they, they walk into a room, they notice what's out of place or what's wrong because that's where their eyes go because they want to fix. They sometimes feel like it's their responsibility. Mm-hmm. And for them, their core fear is being bad, being wrong, even being evil or unredeemable. And so they kind of think that their environment really is equates to who they are. If my environment is in disarray and it's bad and it's wrong, then I am in disarray and I'm bad and I'm wrong. Mm-hmm. The Enneagram type two is called the helper or the advocate. Some people say the ninja. I think that's like pretty spot on, but they are the type of people that, you know, they, I mean, their name says it all, the helper, right? So they're the type of people, they're not going to leave your dinner party if there are still dishes in the sink. And if you don't let them do a dish, they're going to keep you company till the last dish is done. They are like a friend to the masses. They are just incredible people. They put themselves to the side to help, but for them, their core fear is that if they're not needed, they won't be loved. Mm -hmm. And so they self-abnegate, they put their needs to the side and they help other people um, in a terrible spinning cycle to get the love that they think they need to earn. The Enneagram type three is called the achiever or the performer, um, sometimes nicknamed the best. I like that. I think it's really funny, but they are, you know, they're go-getters, they're CEOs. I, most female entrepreneurs I know are actually Enneagram type threes. It's not a stereotype because I'm not a three and I'm an entrepreneur. So that's great. Um, but <laughs> they are hardworking. They're dressed to kill. They're very charming. They are, you know, they care about their appearance. They care about how other people see them. For them, they feel like their worth is deeply rooted in their works and not just deeply rooted in, you know, big accomplishments like graduating college, like tied to so closely that they can't separate the two in any area of life. And so for them, their, their core fear is that they're actually inherently worthless. And so they struggle a lot with, you know, that imposter syndrome, that like internal tug. Mm-hmm. Um, the Enneagram type four is called the individualist or the romantic. I've heard some people say the tortured artist. I think it's a stereotype. <laughs> it's so, <laughs> so our, point though. <laughs> it is, right? It's like, it's, like a, it's a stereotype, <laughs> but it's usually true. Um, they are, God, they're so incredible. They are the type of people who will sit with you in your joy. They'll sit with you in your sorrow. They'll just sit with you and they'll let you feel. They don't do feelings or have feelings. They are feelings. And I say that not to be funny, but because it's a superpower, like, you know, nine times out of 10, the things that we think are flaws are actually superpowers, right? So they are just the most incredible. They have such a depth of emotion, a depth of perception. For them, they feel that they have this fundamental need to be unique. And it's not like I'm going to wear yellow rain rain boots when everyone's wearing black shoes. Like, no, it's not just something like that. It's I need to stand out. I need to make my mark. I need to leave my imprint because if I don't, I'll be forgotten. So they fear abandonment. They fear being cut off from their emotion. They fear not living their most authentic lives. They fear that they're just going to be forgotten and drown out into the abyss. Oh, girl, that's that's me all over. <laughs> yep, yep. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's great when I hear people and they're like, thanks for hurting my feelings. Bye. <laughs> 
Um, the Enneagram type five is called the observer or the theorist. I love the theorist. I think that's the most accurate name of all of the nine Enneagram nicknames. Like I think that is the most accurate. They are a hundred percent cerebral people. So if you ask them what they're feeling, they're going to tell you what they're thinking. Um, they are, the, they're great. They are knowledge based. They're always gathering information, gathering facts, making decisions with their head. And the reason is their core fear is double sided. Mm-hmm. They fear number one, that they will be completely depleted of energy. They also fear being incompetent. And so with those two double-sided fears, they rely on knowledge because knowledge helps them to not be incompetent and knowledge helps them not drain their energy because knowledge takes less energy than feelings. Mm -hmm. And so for for them, that core fear really rules things in their life. So they're, they're a little bit detached from their emotions. They're a little bit detached from their body and they can be a little withdrawn, but they are incredible human beings. They're so smart. So my partner is a five and he's the best person who's ever lived. (laughs) So yeah. um, The Enneagram type sixes are called the loyalist or the guardians. I love guardians. Um, I think they're guardians for the rules. I think it's so fitting Um, for them. They, you'll see the memes and stuff say like, Oh, they're, they're scaredy cats. They're scared of everything. I don't think that's really true. I think they just, they live in code yellow all the time right? It's like, they're like the new mom of the friend group all the time, <laughs> right? Like what, what could possibly go wrong could possibly go wrong. So here is everything I'm thinking. So if you have a friend who is really, really negative all the time, when you tell them good news, odds are they're probably not being negative. They're probably just being a six. What they're doing is they're going through and, and theorizing, catastrophizing, and thinking of all of these things to protect you all these possibilities for them their fear is fear itself but also being without support and mm-hmm. so they're never going to let that happen hence the name loyalist they're very loyal to their people um the enneagram type 7 who i love so dearly they're called the enthusiast or the party i think they are the peter pan of the enneagram they are so fun they're you, you want to go to the beach yeah you want to go to europe yeah you want to go jump off cliff yeah like they're they're always down for a fun last minute adventure. For them, they're so excited. They're thinking about the next thing before the last thing ends. They just can't really hardly wait till the future comes. And they're just, they're just really excitable people. They're like golden retrievers. I don't know how to explain it. But for them, they go from one thing to the next simply because if they stop long enough, they will feel a lot of emotional pain that they've been hiding away. Mm. And their core fear is that if I feel this pain, like if I open up this can of whoop on myself, I will, I will be stuck in this emotional pain. And so there's almost like a, a disconnect between feeling pain and being trapped in pain. And it's like one is equal to the other. And so for them, they'll go from one experience to the next. They don't like these hard and fast commitments. They want to live on the wild side. They want one of everything on the menu. It's, and it's really incredible. They show us how to be, be kids at heart, but it's because they're afraid to stop and feel that emotional pain. The Enneagram type eight, who I think is the most misunderstood on the Enneagram, they are called the challenger or the contrarian. Some people see the dragon. They are big people, big personality people. They walk in the room and their presence is felt that there's those, you know, phrases like, a, you know, a bull in a china shop. That's them. They can be cutthroat. They can be aggressive, but really at their best, I mean, they're just forward and direct. So a lot of people will say things like, oh, I met a very unhealthy Enneagram 8 one time. 
odds are they probably were just a regular Enneagram 8 and you didn't like defend yourself or something. Because <laughs> yes, while they are strong, they want you to stick up for yourself. They want you to defend them, defend yourself. Um, their core fear is being rejected, blindsided, or at the mercy of injustice. So when you look at that fear, being rejected and being blindsided, and you see their big personality, it makes a lot of sense. Mm-hmm. And because because they don't want to be at the mercy of injustice, they are the first people to stand in between a bully and the underdog. They will stand right in the middle. Um, it's kind of like the movies where the big guy's name is Tiny. You know, that, that's how they, they're like, they're gentle giants. They really are. Sure. The Enneagram type nine is called the peacemaker or the wildflower, uh, the wallflower, excuse me. They are, I, I mean, the name says it all. They can be referees at times. They can see sides of everything. They love to make peace, but they also feel the responsibility to keep peace. Mm-hmm. And that comes from their core fear, their fear of conflict, um, personal conflict, internal conflict, one-to-one conflict, group conflict, tension in a room. They will do anything to avoid these things. So kind of like the Enneagram two, they fall asleep to themselves. They fall asleep to their needs, but with a different motivation, and that is to avoid conflict. It also ends up there, a different side of their fear comes out where it's, well, do the people around me ever really know me? Are they ever going to really know me because I'm always just going along with them? And so they, but they really are like, they're the people who are great mediators. They're amazing quick thinkers. They're just such hard workers, but you'd be surprised what holds them back when they're trying to keep peace. So that's an overview of the nine. Oh my gosh, you did it beautifully. I don't, I'm like amazed at how well you kind of poured <laughs> through that and your energy. And thank you so much for that. And that's so awesome. Oh, thank yeah, you. I think again, every time that I hear these and every time I kind of sit back and just observe all of this space, I see very clearly how each part of the human experience is embodied, right? And represented. Mm-hmm. And I also appreciate, like I said at the beginning of the cast, that, you know, it doesn't mean that you're going to be stuck in this one thing forever or that you have to X, Y, Z. This isn't something that we are using as a tool for um, shame or guilt or even slavery. Yeah. In terms of we're not trying to box you up. You know, this isn't about that. It's about furthering deeper into your true self, really even getting as deep as working further into your core values. Mm-hmm. really reaffirming what it is that you need and want in your own life and then from there create more beautiful space around you plus also I mean how wonderful to know that each one of us goes through life uniquely and have yeah. different experiences of everything it's true and you know it, it's funny because people are like there are you know billions of people on the planet you're going to tell me there's nine personalities there are so many variations yeah. to this it's not even funny like i i don't like getting into them on podcasts because then there's wings there's stress points there's <laughs> anchor points there's interpersonal groups there's you know the different triad i mean there's so many different variations and for, look, if, if you're listening to this and you're like i don't want to be in a box if you already think it's a box i encourage you not to look into it because mm-hmm. you don't want to do that to yourself. But if you're the type of person that says, I think this will edify me, go in, go for it. I, I do think there's a level of shame that um, happens when you do look into the Enneagram because there are pe- there's parts of ourselves that we try to like, you know, bend the page and close the book on since sure. we're kids. The coping mechanisms I talk about, the worldviews, like if 
if you're like a, like you said, you're a four, Mm -hmm. the other types and their coping mechanisms probably sound weird to you. Like, what do you mean you go from one emotion to the next instead of sitting (laughs) in your sadness? Like, what the hell is that? Like, but for them, like you learn that as kids and you don't realize it. So really when I'm telling, you know, these really quick nine stories, I'm talking to the eight-year-old inside of everyone. And so there's a little bit of shame that comes up and, and there's like a, I can't believe I'm like this. I can't believe I've always been like this. I can't believe this is the, and this is why that relationship went down in the toilet. And, and, and I just encourage you to like feel your feelings on that, but then just like stop and say, yeah, I can't go back and fix any of that. But I, now I have the language to say, this is who I am, why I do what I do and what I understand value and represent. And I'm going to go forward with language. It helps with boundaries. It helps at work. I mean, it's, it's incredible if that's what you want. Yes. Oh my God. Like I almost screamed that. Yes. I had to like whisper it instead <laughs> because I'm so pumped about it. Yeah. Because at the end of the day, and that's one of the things that I've run across most often in working with people one-on-one, you know, in terms of just healing is that we do often forget we, our younger selves have been almost shackled by these points of guilt and shame in our lives that have been placed there because of information, old information, you know, it's either we grew up in a particular way. And so anytime we kind of stepped outside of the boundaries of that, then we were made to feel less than or shamed or guilted by it, or we ourselves created a particular story around which we decided to put these shackles, so to speak, and say, oh, well, anytime I do this or anytime I don't do that, then that means that's a point of guilt or that's a point of shame. And what I like about these things, what I like about the Enneagram, as well as what I like about the Meyer Briggs is that what it does is it gives you the freedom to become empowered in your choice. You can choose to delve deeper into self and learn better and step into that space of power. Or you can choose to just observe and be like, oh, that was curious, maybe potentially, hey, whatever. Or like you said, if it's something that you feel boxes you up and already that makes you feel uncomfortable, then don't do it. And that I think it's a huge lesson for all of us because in our collective ego space mind I think we still try to box the whole universe up into boxes you know oh and gosh, so yes if that feels restrictive and if that makes you feel not free and if it makes you feel like oh my god why am I even here don't like it's not necessary yeah. but do the things that edify you and that strengthen you that's so true. And I think there's like, there's, there's at some point we all hit a crossroads where there's like that happy medium. And, and sometimes that's um, asking yourself, why do I feel like this is boxing me in? Am I stable enough in how I know myself, confident enough in how I know myself to know that this doesn't define me? So why, you know, do I feel like it's actually, because we all, we all have that tendency to feel like, like you said, I want to, I want to put the universe in a box. And not only that, that box has to fit in my apartment. Like, so it has to fit in my world, you know? And so we have to understand it. And so it's like, I love the question, why? I don't think we ask it far enough. I feel like that's something the universe has been teaching me for the last couple of years is you don't ask why far enough. Mm -hmm. And and I'm like, it's such an uncomfortable question. Like, I don't want to look into the Enneagram. Why? Well, I don't want anyone to tell me who I am. Why? Because Mm -hmm. I don't like authority. Why? Like, it's like you just keep (laughs) pushing the button. So there's that happy medium where if it genuinely makes you uncomfortable, I mean, don't, I, I want people to, you know, like there's that like live your truth I don't care but um it is I think it's a value that if you are a person who's on the growth or self-awareness journey that 
yeah, you don't have to look into it, but ask yourself why. Just make sure you get yourself an answer first so you know you're not making excuses because we self-sabotage sometimes by um, painting it as a good decision and it's not always, you know? Mm-hmm. A lot. And I think that actually, oh my gosh, there's so much to what you just said. Let me see if I can organize my thoughts around it. <laughs> <laughs> so A, I love that as you were asking the why, I had this very vivid image of me as a much younger kid. You know, just as you go to your parents and say, but why, but why, but why, but why? Yeah. <laughs> and it doesn't yes. stop. And when we're adults, that seems very annoying. And it's like, oh my God, there's no answer just because, you know. But I think that that is key is that the young essence of that growth and that search is in us. And if we allow it to be embodied and if we listen to it, it goes back to the inner child healing work that we can do. Then we have the potential for so much more exploration and these like incredible aha moments. Yeah. I mean, why do we think it's annoying as adults? Because we're told it's annoying as kids. That's why we stop asking questions, you know, and then that's why we don't explore as much. I was told, oh my gosh, my mom, my mom is the best woman in the world, hands down. I'll fight you on it. Like she's the greatest. But when I was growing up, she wasn't necessarily like caring and attentive, right? She's a great, a great person, but motherhood was not, I guess, her strong suit. So um, it's funny because I have a lot of memories of her being like, oh, what, what, what do you mean? Why, what do you mean? Why, you know, so, like very in very Middle Eastern fashion. So I stopped asking those questions a long time ago. And so um, asking why and not settling for, I don't know. And even telling yourself, if I say, I don't know to this, my higher self is going to come back for an answer in two hours. Like just telling yourself that. And I tell my, you know, like when my, when my boyfriend and I make hard decisions and he goes, I don't know. I'm like, okay, hold on to your, I don't know. I'm coming back for the answer in two hours. I always tell him that. And he always has an answer for me like after, which is great. But it's like, I don't believe in cop-outs, but I also don't believe in, in, you know, we, we tend to coddle ourselves with our worldviews and I'm just not a fan of that. And so I, I tread the line carefully between making sure you're not traumatizing yourself, yes. but also knowing that you are the person that you should be trusting the most yeah. to, you know, revel in your success and in your breakthrough. And you're the only person that can push that point. So, you know, there's a season like I needed a lot of healing. Mm-hmm. And the only thing that made the difference was I started asking why. And it, like, why to random moments? Why did this comment piss me off? Why did, you know, like all that stuff. And it, you trace it back to so many roots that I'm like, mm-hmm this is really just a defense mechanism I used when I was like seven. Mm-hmm. Interesting. So it's, it's very, very good exercise. It's painful, but it's very good. <laughs> it can be, but just because it hurts doesn't mean it's not worthwhile. And that's one yeah. thing I've actually come to learn a lot over the last like five, seven years is because, well, I'm that person actually, Jackie, like I'm the one mm-hmm. that goes, I don't know. Like, I don't know why I feel like this. I don't know why, but like, the, but this is just the way that it is. And, mm-hmm. you know, I also feel so much sometimes that I really can't puzzle it out. It takes me like a minute or a long like year to figure yeah. out. On. But I've started to go deeper into the presence of, okay, number one, if it's really bringing up this much emotion and if it's really causing so much resistance or so much like, oh God, I got to run away from this, you know, that level of intensity, there's a reason for it. So it's worth at the very least observing, gently, but observing it. And I'm also very careful like you not to traumatize, but also not to re-traumatize myself because I was 
quite a lot in my life, as I know have you. So it's a, it's a careful balance in that space and acknowledging that when there is that pushback or that, um, that almost in, innate nature sort of way of like, oh my God, I got to run away from this or, or distance myself from this as, far, as fast as, and as far as possible, that there's a reason. So we go back to yeah. your question. We go back to the why. So little by little, those pieces start to fall in. And I would even say, and I've said this in, in a couple of other episodes too as well, is that even in conversations with people, you know, if there is a word that they have used or if there is something that has transpired that has made you feel a lot or that has um, brought out the reactive space of you, you really need to see why. That's so true. And here's the thing, like, I love to tell people, like, be the detective of your own life, you know, like, um, for me, that journey with why started with moments, but I, I kind of was like, well, I don't want to wait till I'm angry or sad about something to discover why. And so I would, um, I did this thing where I would take walks and I would take my iPhone and they have like the voice recorder app and I would tell stories. I would tell stories that I would like bury at night in my head of like when I was a kid, like the, th the stories that would embarrass me, the stories that made an imprint on me, the stories that hurt my feelings the most. We all have those like when we're mm -hmm. kids and we just can't stop mm -hmm. thinking about. Um, and I would listen back and I would journal the main points of it. And, and then I started finding patterns. I felt like a detective. I felt like, um, you know, like in a, if you're looking at like a case or whatever, and there's like that, um, that board and they have like pictures and then they have like yeah. strings and then lines and <laughs> arrows and sticky notes. And I felt like the detective of my own life because I started piecing things together and going, okay, maybe at face value, I don't like, cause I'm an Enneagram too. And maybe at face value, I don't like to admit that I need to be needed in order to be loved. But I definitely think that people are more valuable than I am. And that's why I self-abnegate and I got to figure out where that came from. And, you know, oh, wow, look at all these memories that point to this pattern of recognizing that my mom really loved when I did things for her, but really hated when I asked for things. Mm -hmm. Okay. So it's, 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 interesting when you're ready to do that detective work, what really comes together and you want to do it in the way you feel comfortable. For me, it was taking a walk and pretending I was on the phone and not looking crazy and using the voice recorder app. And <laughs> oh my God, I've done people, that too, by the way. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> and some people go to therapy. Some people talk to a friend. Some people just journal and talk about it six years later. Mm -hmm. Whatever, whatever works for you. But if you're starting that journey, do what makes you feel comfortable. But remember that, um, you know, pain's okay. Pain, you know, growing pains, right? Yeah. And that's one thing I think I try to be very careful of, especially in a healing capacity. And as mm -hmm. I'm, you know, as an intuitive healer, I also delve very deeply into the spiritual. So in the spiritual community, I think a lot of times we do tend to do a little bit of spiritual bypassing in as much as, and again, I've spoken about this in the podcast before, for example, using words like just let it go or mm -hmm. only good vibes. And I understand the <laughs> intention and I know where it's coming from yeah. and we all want it. But at the end of the day, listen, uh, there is no growth if we cannot be in presence of all sides of living, which means pain is going to be there and it's a great teacher. It means fear is going to be a fantastic alchemizer. Mm -hmm. It means that if we allow ourselves to look in shade and light and not label one or the other good or bad, then we can grow so much further than if we 
specifically go around cutting people out of our lives because oh my god they're just so negative it's just only good vibes right (laughs) right that's so true that's so true i think um we as humans have the capability of making everything toxic so Mm -hmm. we have somehow found a way to tarnish like vibrations and boundaries and make those toxic too so it's like Mm. you know you're right to your to your point we we get our we get our human on everything i like to tell people like regardless of what you believe um i think everyone believes in some sort of divinity if they think that we are the controlling power or their or god or the universe or whatever but I, i always like to say you know with the nine types it shows us nine beautiful versions of the divine one that sits inside of each one of us and is buried unfortunately by our humanity mm-hmm. and the way we when we peel our humanity back and we let the divinity come to the surface up for a gasp of air sure. that's when we're going to feel our best and it, it's so true when you see people really living without fear of their greatest fear it's a, it's like you're looking at a different person mm-hmm. yeah it's 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 Hmm. I don't even have a proper word for it, but it is so filled with grace and the Mm. true magic of a true and honest alchemy, you know? So, and Mm. I think that that's a space that we can inhabit very clearly when we allow ourselves to go just a little bit deeper. And I love, by the way, that you said, not just because I do this as well, like talking on the phone and like just recording, like talking to myself, (laughs) (laughs) but I love that you said that you found some healing through telling stories because oh my goodness, that is kind of where some of the wounds begin because the ego likes to tell stories in in order to protect us. So when we start and we allow the ego to tell the story of, you know, this happened, so therefore this, and now look at all of this other stuff. And so it comes and it sort of reinforces what the ego was telling us as a story. Jeez, I mean, the fact that we can go in and tell a story to heal that space. I mean, I got goosebumps when you said that. So I just wanted to bring that up because that is incredible. Again, I go back to thinking everything, everything is, is just unison, right? So if, Mm -hmm. if your ego caused you pain, then allow through story then allow the story to cause that healing of self and ego you know yeah and you know it's funny i think of the i have uh tattooed on my back one of my first tattoos that i ever got i went into new york city at 15 and i was like i'm i'm 18 tattoo me and they did so um (laughs) i but it says um don't feed the bad wolf on my back and i and i got it because i heard this story this Native American story, you know, where this elder was telling a young man, there's two wolves that live inside you. And the one that wins is the one you feed. And, and I, and I think about that story and I think it's so true. Um, and I think about our ego and I, the way I like to say it to myself even is I just pretend that every part of me is eight years old because it is like my conscience, eight years old, my ego. So those things that your ego is telling you, um, you have to really keep in mind it wants to protect you. Like yeah. every part of you wants to survive. And sometimes survival looks like food and shelter, but sometimes survival looks like don't embarrass yourself. Don't yeah. get into a relationship. Don't be vulnerable. So sometimes survival looks different. And um, there's so much beauty in being able to look at your ego and say, thank you for presenting this to me. I think I'm going to make a different decision. And even if I'm wrong, What's the worst that could happen? And mm-hmm. honoring your ego, you're going to watch your inner thoughts change. And I mean, there's even science to that, right? Like if you, have you, have you heard of neuroplasticity? 
Yeah. Right. So there's even, there's even science to that. And I love that science and the spiritual can, can certainly go hand in hand, oh, but too. Yeah. it's, it's just, it's crazy. We are just the, you know, like Rumi says, you are the, what is it? The, the universe in, oh, what is that? I don't know. It's, 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 it's I hate, I hate quotes because I never remember them. Too. I'm so bad I remember the gist. I remember how they make me feel, but it's like that quote, quote where it's like, he basically says, you are the universe in like, this mm-hmm. expansive, like you are a piece of the universe stopping so small. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. And I'm like, oh, it hurts my feelings, which means I probably need oh. it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And that's another point too, where, and I believe this is a quote, again, I'm like, like I can't, I'm really bad at quotes and I'm really Both bad us, at yeah. names, you know, like in general. So that always cracks me up because in conversation with someone, I could be like, oh, well, such and such like this said that and this is about science yeah. and they're like well where's the research and I'm like uh I don't, I don't know somewhere uh, yeah no idea and so it makes me feel so uncomfortable because then I'm like shoot I know I know what I'm talking about but I have nothing to back it with so yeah. speaking of ego right that's my ego going oh <laughs> but uh oh my god I was going somewhere with that what was I gonna say oh it's the concept of uh the wound is where the light enters you as well that yes. I think we sometimes completely ignore or try to pretend it doesn't happen. Like just because this thing has been hmm, so chiseling, let's call it, doesn't mean that you have to sh- shy away from it. Like if you lean into it, a lot of times you'll find much more healing and the grace. I mean, I love that we can take care of and honor our egos as they are. You know, not see them as enemies, but see them as helpers who are trying to keep us safe. Same as with every aspect of ourselves. Instead of relating to the self as the enemy, then seeing ourselves as someone who can work with us hand in hand, like a partner. We are our best partner. So true. Oh my gosh. Yeah. Like, whew. I got to sit with that for a second. That's so true. Yeah, I, I mean, I do too. <laughs> you hear like variations of it, right? Like be your own cheerleader, be the prophet of your own home. Be your, but like you are, it's funny. I watched this, this presentation once where this, this woman was trying to explain that there is a difference between your, you know, your body, your soul, your spirit. And mm-hmm. she had another person come up on the stage and, and told her, she was like, okay, I'm body and she is my spirit, right? And so she looked at it and was like, you're stupid, you're ugly, you're dumb. Uh, now come with me, we got to go change the world. <laughs> and it's like, oh my gosh. So it's like, it's, it's funny because of how many people we are within one person, how many worlds and universes we are within one person. And outside of who we are by nature, then there is nurture and then there's culture and then there's environment and then there's the food we eat. And then there's, there's so many things that make us who we are. And we are either our best partner or our biggest enemy and we get to choose. It's such a weird and tough decision. Yep. And sometimes it's a decision that we run away from. You know, that's why I liked the name Nourishing Paths when I started my company, because I realized this is more than just about food or it's more than just about breath or yoga Mm. or meditation or life coaching. This is about all the different ways in which our whole self becomes nurtured and nourished and prevails and heals in all of these paths. Yeah. Yeah. Which is fantastic. Oh my goodness. So I, I love all of that because it also puts to mind this really keen concept of 
observation. And I think it's mm. that I love the way that you described it as like become your own detective, like the detective of your own life. Yeah. Because in observation, what we can do is we can offer ourselves way more grace and we can then develop better tools and better ways for us to manage, you know? Mm-hmm. So I'll use myself as an example. Um, I grew up as an HSP in a space where, in an empath, when, where I wasn't necessarily always feeling completely safe, especially when it came to conversation. So to okay. this day, conversation and confrontation, let's say, or like deep, um, difficult conversations, crucial conversations are difficult for me to have because the first thing, thing that happens is my throat chakra freaks out and it closes off a bit. And then I start crying because I feel like mm. I don't have the words. And listen, I mean, anybody who's either listened to the podcast or read my blog or even been a client of mine or a student of mine knows that I am loquacious. Okay. I do not <laughs> shut up. I'm very verbose. I mean, I have the words and the wherewithal to put them together. But when it comes to like having like a heart to heart with someone, especially where it's something that I'm feeling vulnerable on, ooh, it takes a long time. So I've got- yeah, That's not just your brain or your vocabulary. Yeah. There's so much else. Yeah, there's so much energetic in there too. So I've gotten better, not great at it yet, but I'm getting better every day, I think, at like- embodying my space in a grounded way where I'm calling my power back to me first. Yeah. And then speaking my truth from my heart. Like, okay, this and this happened and this is kind of how I perceived it. And trying as best as possible to not make it about anybody else but like me. Like this is the space I'm inhabiting and that's observation that comes with observation. Now that's not to say that I'm not reactive. We all are. But the gift we give ourselves when we can be the detectives is that then we can ask those questions like in the moments, you know, like say, for example, you're having a very tough heart to heart with your partner and they're like, oh, well, so and so. And then it hurts your feelings. I had one recently, actually, where I was like, wait, are you saying this? Because that's how it came across. Like, it just was a moment where I was able to ask why. Why am I like about yeah. to cry or why am I about to storm out of here before going into reactivity the observation gives us the possibility of choice and creation and active involvement yes oh my gosh yes (laughs) (laughs) Um, it's funny how how rarely we realize we must be a willing and active participant in our own lives Mm. yeah Yep. Yeah. I think yeah. <laughs> time we actually go kicking and screaming, right? We're like, no, I don't want to deal with this person. This person, why? <laughs> yeah, it's funny. My uh, my mom sent this to me, and regardless of your spiritual walk or what you believe, I think it's funny. But it's like you know that that uh, that Jesus thing where it's like those those footprints where you only see one or where I carried oh, you. Yeah. And then yeah. my my mom sent me this cartoon where it's like, well, Jesus, what is that big groove in the sand? He's like, oh, that's where I had to drag you. And it's like, and I, I feel like we have to drag ourselves. The universe has to drag us. Our people have to drag us. But sometimes we just got to go kicking and screaming, man. We just got to do it. Yeah. Or being shoved or something. Oh my gosh, girl. I feel that everything. <laughs> that long group so is true. where I was dragging you. Yeah. Oh my God. That's amazing. I love that so much. And yeah, <laughs> it happens. 
but then it, you know, uh, I think also too, even as we're being dragged or pushed, uh, I think it's the universe is still very smart in how it handles even that much. So sometimes even as we do, as we do go kicking and screaming, it's still a blessing, you know, and, and then we, we stop and we go, Oh, oops okay so yeah let me uh let me let me surrender to this now and it's gonna be okay (laughs) it's so true it's so true and and we think that um it's funny because sometimes we surrender and we like we're like yeah i surrender to the universe and sometimes we're like oh i friggin' give up and then (laughs) the universe is like finally and like can like take its course and we realize the surrender was actually the easiest path and we just want to hold on to control and that's the i don't think um I don't like saying control freak when I talk to like clients about like mm-hmm. things going on. I, I like to say control queen because I, I think it's mm-hmm. like, I, I don't think wanting control is bad actually. Mm-hmm. Um, I think the, the need for control, for control sake, for fear sake, for, that's not okay. Mm-hmm. Um, so saying I would love to have control over my whole entire life. And I have control completely over my finances and I'm okay with that. That's not a bad thing. It's, mm-hmm. it's really not. You don't want that to be out of control. Um, but to, to try to manipulate, like, I think there, here's the thing. Like you said, the universe is really smart, but also I think the universe is its own kind of empath. And oh yeah, it's not going to deal with you manipulating to control situations because you're scared. It's not, it's, it's not, it, that's not going to happen. So it's like, transitioning into the, like that mindset of, you know, even when you're talking about, you know, as we said before, peeling the layers back and examining your own life and being your own detective and figuring out these wounds via stories. Um, where does my need for control come from? We all have one. We, mm-hmm. we all have a, a need and a desire for control. I have to think that that's something biological in us, like maybe wired for survival or of some sort, but, um, where does that need come from and what do I really feel like it's going to do for me in this situation? So if I feel the need to control my partner in a relationship, like what do I really feel like that's going to do for me that I can't do for myself? Mm -hmm. Yeah. I call it, um, control embodiment versus Mm. like control, like what was the other word that I used versus control, uh, stuffing. So it's like, if you, Mm -hmm. you feel like you're trying to force something down your throat almost which is yeah the, the illusion of control right versus just allowing yourself to know that you've got choice and in the yes. choice you can create the level of um maybe it's because we have a sense of that control can only be like a negative connotation but I think that control also is executed in mastery you know yeah. like if you think about someone who practices a martial art you know, a martial artist, they have control of every single part of their bodies and their breaths Mm. and their minds and their presence when they are executing something masterfully, like, you know, a fight or something, but they aren't trying to control the outcome or the situation. So yes, there is a level of control, but control as we understand it is an illusion. That's so true. And, and as we, and I think like there's, it's funny. I, I like, I love working in steps and I don't like coddling, but I like comfort and all that fun stuff. But even just reminding yourself that control as we know it, when we stop and we look, we have all the control that we need. And I'd like to think that the universe is smart enough to only give us what we need to control. If there's something that is out of control in our lives, it needs to be either surrendered, cut Mm -hmm. off, or we need to figure out why it's not in our control. But that doesn't mean we need to control it. And um, 
like it's for, someone mentioned this to me like we're talking about you know control freaks control queens whatever the phrasing is and mm-hmm. just you could literally have your house taken from you and your your sp- spouse could cheat on you and all these different things could happen in a day and you still have control because you have control over your breathing your blinking your movements mm-hmm. your thoughts you have control and so it's i think it's really also it's important to identify why do i need control because a lot of times it's i need control because i need to appear a certain way or a certain lifestyle is comfort to me or whatever that looks like i think our our this is why i love the enneagram it gives you language and yeah. we go through life not realizing that we don't have language mm-hmm. we don't most of the time none of us even admit to being control freaks i'm not a control freak i'm just really particular okay you're a control <laughs> freak like <laughs> so you just we i think we forget how important it is to actually develop language around everything in our lives so that the second we ask ourselves or need to address why we can why do i need control over this so bad because the last time it it went awry and it it ruined my life okay let's start there let's start the healing work there you know and so it's it's interesting how all of it really you know the, i think the question why really just brings you back to a lot of different places Mm-hmm. Yeah, it really does. And and I love that you bring up the point of like language around something and that that's how mm-hmm. the Enneagram serves us. Because again, to bring it back to where we started and sort of bring it full circle, these aren't things that we are the tools that we use to heal ourselves. That's kind of the same way that I referred to as like ritual, you know, just because yeah. you are in a space of ritual or sacred devotion, etc. doesn't mean that you have to shackle yourself to that's the way that things have to be forever. Yes, forever yeah, ever, exactly. That's it. They're unchanging. Because nothing works that way. The universe doesn't work that way. So how do you mm-hmm. expect to, if, you're, if you are the universe embodied, you know? So it's the same. The Enneagram works the same. But, but the fact that we have the words and the capacity to say, oh, this is kind of where this is, this is at play in my life and it presents itself in this way. So therefore, if I interact with it this way, I can find better healing or better tools too. So then our tools become fluid sort of elements that we can use to go further into developing ourselves. And that's where things like the Enneagram and the Myers-Briggs and all of these work. And that's why I like working with them. Again, they're not meant to be rigid. Mm-hmm. They're still fluid, but hey, they're there to give you the ability to say, whoa, okay, looking back, I think I was coming from this place because of this. And then through that, you can further ask why and go, ah, okay, true. When I was five, this and this, and, you know, go further. So it's an always, oh, shoot, sorry about that. (laughs) It's a never ending uh, process of growth and healing and creation. It's so true. And I remembered the quote, actually. It's, uh, stop acting so small. You are the universe in static motion. That's what it is. Oh, that's what it is. <laughs> I, I love it. that quote. It's so good. It, it really <laughs> is. And yeah, I, I love that. I, there are a million, million modalities that you can use for your healing. I promise you, I could have never come across the Enneagram and I would hopefully, you know, been led to, you know, by the universe to heal from what was going on in my life. Mm-hmm. And the, like 
that, that's the thing. The universe is always going to use what's in front of you. And if you really need something else, it's going to bring it to you. But this is the modality that worked for me and has worked for many. And Myers-Briggs is the modality that's where, and just simply a contemplative practice during yoga has, I mean, it, it just, it depends on who you are and what you've mm-hmm. been through and mm-hmm. there's no shame. And I, I know that some people can, you know, you can compare your story to anybody else's, but it'll do nothing for you because you are each a piece, mm-hmm. a different piece of the universe in static motion. We can't be so small to think that we have to look like someone else's journey. No, absolutely not. Mm-mm. Oh my goodness, Jackie. I love it. And I feel like I could keep you here for five more hours, but I'm not going <laughs> to. <laughs> oh, I'd love to. <laughs> so um, before I let you go, allow me to ask you. What would your advice in terms of becoming empowered and uplifted would be for the listeners? That's a great question. Um, in terms of being empowered and uplifted, um, I know this is actually tangible. It's not going to be this like really great woo-woo advice that you have to like meditate on. Um, put Put some boundaries in place. Start by figuring out what it is that you are simply tolerating. Start by figuring out what makes you feel less like you and figure out what the boundary looks like. You, um, you know, I, I love telling people that the bound, you know, boundaries are gatekeepers to your mental health and they are not gates. They're not walls. They just show people where the door is. And um, even different, you know, parts of your life, we need a boundary on drinking for the next three months, or we need Mm -hmm. a boundary on using food as comfort or whatever that looks like for you. Um, I think boundaries to empower and uplift yourself are going to be the first incredible step that many people take to find freedom. Because when you're not simply tolerating the things around you, you are free to actually enjoy Mm -hmm. life. Mm -hmm. Oh my gosh. Yep. And then last but not least, where can the listeners find you? Yeah, so you can find me by standing outside my apartment. Also, um, <laughs> don't do that. Um, oh my God, I am the on- best answer I've had today. <laughs> <laughs> don't do that. I watch too much true crime. Please don't come over. Um, you can find me on Instagram. My Instagram is at table for nine coaching. It's F-O-R and the digit nine. And after you have listened to every single one of Safa's podcasts like three or four times and you can find me on iTunes and Spotify at the table for nine podcast. Mm -hmm. Also a phenomenal podcast, by the way. Thank you. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Thoroughly enjoyable. Yay. Okay. Well, Jackie, thank you so much for joining me again. It really was such, such a delight and I hope we can do this again sometime soon. Yes. And I can't wait to have you on my podcast. I'm super excited. So everybody keep your, your ears peeled for that. And I, I'm just so thankful um, for the opportunity to just chat with you and get to know you. I don't even feel like we're doing a podcast. I feel like we're just talking about who we are and who we want to be. So I love that. Thank you. Same, same. Okay. Thank you. Welcome back, everyone. I truly hope that you enjoyed that interview. I mean, it really filled my heart with so much light and just joy that I'm walking on cloud nine today. (laughs) So if you have any questions about any of the things that you heard on the show today, if you would like to learn how to create better boundaries, or if you just want to really heal yourself and work one-on-one with me, then please email me info at nourishingpaths.com. 
You can also find me on Instagram, of course, at nourishing underscore paths. And you can join me every Monday for this wonderful show with new guests or sometimes by myself. But we are going to keep exploring ways in which to heal and grow and fully become uplifted. And I want to invite you and encourage you that if you like this show, go ahead and rate us, leave us an uplifting review because that's how other people can find us as well. So share the love. And if there are topics in mind that you want me to explore or guests that you want me to bring on, then please reach out. Now have a wonderful, wonderful day and I will talk to you again next Monday. 